Hey, hey, welcome into the Utopia Football Podcast, our week four preview episode, the Chargers and the Texans. Texans back at home for the first time since the season opening tie against the Colts. The Chargers uh, come in off of the off of a blowout loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, the Texans, of course, losing to the Bears last Sunday on a last-second field goal. My name is Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast in the mornings on Sports Radio 610. And, of course, as always, joined by the Hall of Famer. He is our senior Texans columnist at Sports Radio 610, as well as gallerysports.com, the great John McClain. John, how are we doing? Well, I'm thinking about this game, Sean, and the first thing that comes to mind is the movable force versus the resistible object <laughs> because we have the worst running team in the NFL in the Chargers and the worst run defense in the NFL in the Texans. Something has got to give. Yeah. My recommendation to protect Justin Herbert is don't throw the ball. Just run and run and run some more like the first three opponents have done because the Texans have shown for the third year in a row, they are pathetic against the run. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny. I and mean, we're going to get into our pregame six pack here where we'll lay out some of the, the personalities and storylines and things like that, that are going to play into this game. But uh, you know, that that's an appropriate theme to start with John, just because of what happened last week against the bears, 281 yards on 40 carries against the bears. And it was, it was ugly the whole game. They're, the bears had three huge plays in that game. They had a 52-yarder by Herbert. They had a 41-yarder by Equinemius St. Brown. And then the 29-yard scramble from Justin Fields. The Texans still gave up almost four and a half yards of carry, even if you take those three plays out of it. So it's not like this was something where the numbers got twisted and skewed by some big plays. And that, hey, you know, 90% of the plays, we actually stood up. The bad ones were just really bad. No, they were bad all afternoon. They were missing tackles again. Um I, and, and we know normally I would say, you know what, the Chargers are probably just a team that can run the football. That's just not run the football well the first few games, except they are really banged up on the offensive line. Uh, Rayshon Slater, their left tackles out for the season and Corey Lin, uh, Lindsley, their center missed the last game. I guess he's making progress this week with the knee injury, but either way, we know he's going to be banged up. So who knows? So you, you're saying of these two things, it's more likely it's a get well game for the Chargers rushing attack, not the Texans rushing defense well the texans beat them here last year scored 41 points rex burkett had the greatest game of his career by far and davis mills was great and right now burkett's terrible and while mills is not terrible you know if you're terrible you're throwing a bunch of interceptions he's thrown one on a pass he shouldn't have thrown in the end zone at chicago because brandon cooks was covered and but he's not playing well he's not playing anywhere near the way he played in the last season. When Brandon Staley pops up, we're looking at his game plan, he's going to say, who's that playing quarterback for the Texans? That's not the guy we went up against last year. That's not the guy we scouted in for, to prepare a game plan. There is no resemblance to the Davis Mills of right now to the Davis Mills at the end of last season. Maybe, just maybe, because he's been so much better at home than on the road, maybe he will bounce back in this game and we'll think, aha, that's why they want him to be the starter this year because he looks like he looked 
last year, but I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, 14 touchdowns and one interception at home in his career, and I want to say it's six touchdowns and 11 interceptions on the road. So he's a different guy at NRG Stadium. There's no doubt about that. John, you said he only threw one interception against the Bears. Are you not blaming him for the one that Roquan Smith got, or are you blo- have you blocked that out of your mind? And forgot that it existed. Oh, I forgot he threw two. That's right. Even though that ball was tipped by Angelo Blackson. I don't blame him for that one. The first one, though, he shouldn't have thrown it. Yeah. Hooks was covered. And, and I can't remember who uh, – was it Vi- – not Viter, Villador, Vildor, something like that. He tipped it. Jackson intercepted in the back of the end zone. He never should have thrown that ball. And that's one of the things Mills has done, Sean. He throws to his receivers when they're covered. Yeah. Now, if you're going to throw it up on the sideline and let six foot four Nico Collins jump up and fight for it, I don't have a problem with that. But when you're throwing a bullet over the middle to a guy that's covered, it's almost like you're just hoping. They've done that once this year, John. They did it in the preseason when everybody knew it was coming because there was only one play left in the half against the Rams, and it was successful. Have they? Has he thrown? Can you think of one back shoulder fade or, or lob ball that he's thrown to Nico Collins yet this year to let Nico kind of body the guy out? Nothing like we saw in training camp and preseason. Yep, I can't either. All right, so, John, let's lay this out then. It's the uh, Texans and the Chargers on Sunday. Chargers are a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Last I checked. I'm going to check again here real quick. They are, okay, it's down to, they're a six-point favorite. So six-point favorite, the Chargers are, um, which I guess compared to last year's progress, they were double-digit favorites at NRG Stadium last year. Um, So noon kickoff on Sunday. John, we always lay out the storylines for the game and the things that we're going to be watching in six-pack form, the pregame six-pack. You do three, I do three. We go back and forth. So let's start it off. I always give you the honors. You go first. What's the first thing you're watching for in this game on Sunday? The same thing everybody watches for every game is the quarterback play. And will will Mills be better now that he's back home after he was mediocre in the last two road losses at Chicago and Denver? He played very well until his strip sack in the fourth quarter against Indy, and he's not played well since. Maybe he will be the Mills we saw before that strip sack. Meaning accurate. Don't throw the ball when people's covered. Don't drop it off to Rex Burkhead. If you're going to check down, throw it to Damian Pierce, who averaged over 10 yards a catch. Get the ball to him in the passing game. Spread the ball around. Get it more to Nico Collins. Now, everybody's talking about him being benched. It's so funny to me. We all thought the Texans were going to be a bad team. Around the league, they were predicted to be one of the worst. Now people are acting like they were supposed to be a playoff team, and uh, they should have won three games. They could have won three games, but I wouldn't say they should have because they were underdogs in every game, and they're not as good as those teams, including the Bears, because of their running game. So to me, it starts with Mills. Don't turn it over. Make good decisions. When you get in the red zone, don't throw it to somebody that's covered. Yeah, John, I think you you kind of you kind of nailed it, I think, with just the 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 overall reaction to to Mills. I, I think it's because they were so close at winning these games, and the difference was the quarterback play. If Davis Mills plays at a B minus uh across the board in those three games, I think they're definitely two and one. Like, I think if he's a B-minus against the Bears, they might have won that game by a touchdown or more. If he's a B-minus against the Colts, it means he probably went and got a field goal in the fourth quarter. 
And then who knows what happens in Denver? Uh, you, you know, that that was a tough road environment. Maybe they win that one. Maybe they don't. But I think that's the thing. It's almost like it's almost like this revisionist history that's going on with the Texans about how aghast we are at them losing these games, even though we all thought they would be a mediocre team is because, wow, they actually are doing some things much better than they did last year. Obviously, run defense and quarterback play are two that they're not doing better, but they're definitely a more talented football team, I would say. And I think that's where that's where the reaction comes from is people are looking at it going, man, I, if they got if they got halfway decent quarterback play, we might be talking about this team as a bit of a surprise right now, as opposed to the 32nd best team in the league, which is where most people have them in their power rankings right now. I would think this, that Mills has a better chance of bouncing back because we've seen him play well than the run defense because the run defense has been terrible three years in a row. Players come and go, position coaches come and go, head coaches come and go, coordinators come and go, and they're still awful. John, if Mills, I, I tell you what, I mean, the, the way we laid out the road and the home splits a little earlier in this conversation, I almost feel like the home games don't matter to me anymore <laughs> in a way. I mean, if all we're doing is just evaluating Davis Mills this year, which is really the main thing, because as you pointed out, they're not going to the playoffs. Um if Mills tears it up at home, like is an A minus at home across the board, which he's kind of been, I mean, 14 touchdowns, one interception is a pretty impressive ratio. And he was good last year in the home games. Even when he was going through his tough stretch early in the season, his rookie year, he still had that great game against the Patriots in week five last year. Um, he was really, really good in that game. I, I almost feel like if he's an A minus at home. If he keeps playing this way on the road, then I'm still back in the market for a quarterback next year. I mean, you, you can't have a quarterback who's a mess every time you go on the road, even if he's really, really good at home. Yeah, I don't care if he goes unbeaten at home. If he can't play well on the road, yeah. get him out of there. Yep, absolutely. All right, um, that, so that's your number one uh, in the six-pack, Davis Mills. That's a good one. Um, mine is the Texans pass rush against Justin Herbert, and there's a lot of a, there's a lot of layers to this one, John. First of all, the, the pass rush has been actually one of the more encouraging aspects of the Texans team overall, but definitely their defense this year. They've got 10 sacks through three games. Um, and some of that's come from blitzing. You know, we saw Jalen Petrie get a sack in the last game, but Jerry Hughes has been really good. Jonathan Grenard, I think, is on the cusp of getting his first sack. We'll see what kind of push they can get up the middle. Um, but this is a Chargers offensive line that's depleted. They're missing their left tackle, Rayshon Slater, who's out for the year. We don't know what Lindsley is going to be, the center. This weekend, at the very least, he's going to be playing coming off of some sort of knee injury if he plays. And Justin Herbert's dealing with cracked rib cartilage right now, whatever that is. So if you can get a good lick in on Justin Herbert, who knows what happens there. This is an injury that they're talking about with him that he's going to be feeling this probably for most of the season. I think it was Matt Hasselbeck who had that kind of injury, and he said it's terrible, it stinks. And it makes it really hard to function. Any little hit that you get is really, really painful. Um, so I think the the Texans pass rush, I think it lines up perfectly for the Texans pass rush to actually have a pretty productive day. You got a quarterback dealing with an injury. You got an offensive line dealing with a cluster of injuries. And the pass rush has actually been pretty encouraging so far this year. Tied for the fifth in the NFL in sacks. They rank very high in red zone defense so far. There's just this one little thing they haven't been able 
to do on defense, and that's stop the run, and that's my next one. The front seven has been awful against the run. When Jonathan Owens is tied for the lead in the NFL in tackles with Roquan Smith, because that's what linebackers are supposed to do, it is preposterous. It shows you what a bad job the front seven is doing against the run. I can't wait till Christian Harris is healthy. I'd put Garrett Wallow out there, linebacker. Their linebackers are not making plays. Camus Grugier-Hill giving up perceptions. He's not playing like he did last year. And then when I watch the game, oh, each play over and over and over, I see Malik Collins and Roy Lopez being blocked by one guy. Mm -hmm. I see Jerry Hughes and Jonathan Bernard charging up the field and getting blocked inside, and they run outside of them. But I don't know what they can do because they're not going to just sub out everybody. Maybe it's a coaching thing with Lovey Smith. But if they continue to be as horrid as they are against the run, they're going to keep getting beat. The only good thing about if the other team doesn't throw much is usually the games are close. Mm -hmm. And that's what's helped put the Texans in position to win three games is because people are not throwing on them. Now, some of that – uh, we like to think is the pass defense being good or the pressure, but the truth is teams just haven't had to do it very much. Yeah, no, that the run defense has been, has, has been absolutely, uh, absolutely abysmal. I, you know, John, it was funny during training camp. I just remember watching them on defense. I'm going, man, they seem, they seem undersized up front. And I know that there's a certain body type that Lovey looks for. Cause he's asking, he's asking his defensive line to do different things than say Romeo Cornell is asking his defensive lineman to do. It's the difference between a four, three and a three, four, um, but I just remember watching them this this preseason and thinking, man, I, I'm a little nervous that they're going to get pushed around by some teams that, that, that can play bully ball. And that's, who, you know, that's kind of who they've played so far. Like the teams they've played so far are teams that are good at running the football. You know, the Colts with their offensive line and Jonathan Taylor. And we know the Broncos have that two headed monster with Gordon and Williams. And we saw with the Bears and the, the Bears, it wasn't an aberration against the Texans. They ran the ball really well against the Packers the week before that. Um, so I, yeah, I don't, I guess my point is, I don't know that this is something that's, that's getting fixed until at all until after, I don't think there's anything schematically they can do to fix this. I think this is going to be who they are and they got to play around this thing. So that's John's number two is the rush defense. John, my next one is, uh, my, my things to watch. We're going through our pregame six pack. My number two, Derek Stingley Jr. Um, we didn't hear his name very much against the bears and that's a good thing, mostly because the bears didn't throw the ball very much, but, um, there weren't any coverage busts or anything like that. Not hearing Stingley's name is a good thing on Sundays. We know two Sundays ago, he had kind of a rough game against Cortland Sutton. He's stepping back up in weight class now, as far as the, the, the quarterback pulling the trigger and more importantly, the weapons on the outside. It sounds like the chargers are getting Keenan Allen back for this game from the hamstring injury. He's when healthy, one of the top receivers in the NFL and Mike Williams, I think is kind of a, uh, underrated maybe is uh, maybe not the right term. I mean, he got paid this offseason, but he's as good a number two as there is. I mean, they're almost interchangeable, Allen and Williams, as far as number one and number two. Stingley's going to draw that aside. He's going to draw one of those two guys. Um, so uh, Derek Stingley Jr., this is the next the next chapter in his baptism into the NFL, and I want to see how he how – he, I want to see who he's covering and how he holds up. If you don't want them to go after Derek Stingley, there is a way to keep them from doing that very much. Keep them on the bench. Run the ball. 
Run the ball with Damian Pierce. Forget about this fallacy that they think Rex Burkhead is going to help the offense because he's not. And Pep Hamilton is dreaming if he sees that and others don't. Lovey Smith has got to step in and say, play Dario Gumbawale, play anybody but Rex Burkhead. Keep Pierce in there. If he falls, keep him in there anyway because he's your only threat. If somehow he could rush for, say, 140 or 50 yards, and this happens with quite a bit of teams, that would help them control the ball, keep the opposing offense off the field, and limit those opportunities in which Keenan Allen or Mike Williams could try to combine with Justin Herbert to pick on whether it was Derek Stingley or Steven Nelson or anybody. One thing they won't do is they won't pick on Jalen Petrie coming off the great game he had in Chicago. Yeah, he was outstanding. So is that your third one, John, then? Damian Pierce run the football? Is that is that the, Absolutely. the, the, the seamless segue into the third – the th- your, third, your third can of the six-pack. I think it's a good one. I think Pierce is going to be the one to watch all year. And it sounds like you want a Gumba Wale to get those Burkhead, to get those Burkhead touches. I, think I don't anybody care who it is. Yeah. It can be Ron Dane. Yeah. Call up Arian Foster. I mean, yes. Dominic Williams. Anybody but Rex Burkhead. Alfred Blue. Alfred Blue Alfred strikes Blue. He strikes me as somebody who decided to stick around in Houston because it's good real estate prices. He was a sixth-round pick. He can really get an affordable home as a sixth-round pick, and, and he's from the South, and he just likes it here. I bet he's sitting around somewhere right now. And he's probably younger than Burkhead. <laughs> I think he is. Yeah, of course he is. He was drafted in 2014. All right, we need a hashtag. We need a hashtag for that. We got to get Alfred Blue out of retirement. Um, all right, my last one, John, special teams. Texans special teams have been really, really good this year so far. They were excellent against the Bears. They really, they, I mean, they they were the one of the biggest facets of the team that gave them a, a chance to win that game. The coverage teams were really good. You got Graylin Arnold getting in there and getting a, a nice tackle, running down on punts in that game. Uh, Desmond King had a 31-yard punt return that set the Texans up with great field position. Um, I think I, I think special teams are going to need to be where they've been. I think I saw on Football Outsiders their second in special teams DVOA, which is efficiency stats. Uh, the Chargers are 23rd in special teams DVOA. So I know the Chargers are banged up, but even a banged-up Chargers, still the more talented team, clearly, of these two football teams. Um, and we haven't even mentioned injuries to, to, uh, to Joey Bosa, uh, along the defensive line, he's got a groin. He's probably not going to play. I mean, th- the Texans are the underdog in this game, and they should be. But, boy, th- I mean, the football gods cannot be smiling on them any more than they possibly could in terms of the, the, the amount of damage, medical damage, that's been inflicted on the Chargers. But I still think, too, even with all that, special teams is going to play a role in this, whether it's Desmond King making a return whether it's, you know, maybe getting some sort of turnover in the in the special teams game. And Cam Johnston has been one of the most valuable Texans since he set foot here a year and three games ago. Um, so I think the special teams in the kicking game, if the Texans keep this game close, are going to be a difference maker in this one. Kami Fairbairn, 63 consecutive field goals inside the 40. All of his kickoffs, I think, have been touchbacks. And, of course, neither one of him or Johnston would have been possible without the extraordinary snapping from John Weeks, yes. the greatest snapper in NFL history. they I think the special teams may need to score two or three touchdowns 
to help out the offense. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, at the very least, set up field position like they did that one time against the the Bears. All right, John, I've got a few for real or fugazis for you here in a second. But as long as we're talking about the Texans and the Chargers, what's your prediction for the game on Sunday? I'm predicting. Let's see, uh, Chargers going to win this game, uh, twenty-seven to twenty. Okay, I've got the Chargers winning as well. I actually have it a little higher scoring. I think the Texans are going to be able to move the ball offensively against this depleted Chargers team. But still, I have a hard. I can't pick the Texans to win a game like this until I see them with Lovey Smith as their head coach actually win a football game. Um, so I'm going to say 31-27. I think the Texans stay inside. I think the Texans. Ooh, you think the Texans are going to score twenty seven? I think I thirty one twenty seven. John, well, what did you say it was going to be? Twenty seven to twenty. Twenty seven twenty. All right. So I'm just I'm just tacking one more touchdown on. That's all. Yeah. It's a little. I'm Desmond trying to King. figure out what you saw in Chicago, Denver, or Indianapolis made you think all of a sudden they're going to score almost thirty points. Uh, John, here's the thing. I'll tell you what. Okay, so they scored twenty in Chicago. Let's not act like they scored five or you know three or whatever. You know, like they a, had twenty against the Colts, and they had twenty against the Colts. So let's so let's start there. Um, and and I don't think they're going to go zero for four on third and one, you know. And obviously, if they're scoring twenty seven, I'm going to assume that Davis Mills is protecting the ball, which he's done incredibly at home, and he's actually done it while scoring touchdowns. So, um, so that's yeah. I mean, I think I, I think that's what it is. I mean, they scored twenty against the Bears last week, and they were really really bad at certain facets of the offense that I just think they'll be better at. Um, this weekend. So I admit it's a, a 27 points, a lot of points for this Texans team, but they're going to score 27 in the game at some point this year. I'm not picking them to win 31, 27. I have as the, uh, as the final score. Um, all right. So John, let's do a few for real or fugazis here. I've got a few this that are Texans related and around the league related. And for those who don't know for real or fugazi, I read John a statement. And then if he agrees with this statement, thinks it's valid that is for real. And if he thinks that I'm full of it and he thinks no way, then it is fugazi. All right. So, John, we'll do a couple Texan ones here. Jordan Akins is the team's best receiving tight end right now. For real or fugazi? For real. One game he came back, he ran, he caught, he didn't drop one. He had a good game plus the touchdown. So, yes, but that's not saying much. No, it's it's sad, actually, when you think about it. It's like, it's a, I mean, we, we got all this Farrell Brown propaganda during the preseason from Lovey Smith, Brevin Jordan. Now, Brevin Jordan's hurt, but even before he got hurt, he wasn't making an impact. And then who am I missing? Oh, O.J. Howard. John O.J. Howard's still on the team. When I was rewatching, I saw him out there a couple times. I don't know if he's he knew the invisible that. man. It's unbelievable. Yep. He only scores, he scores touchdowns against the Colts. That's all he does. All right. Second one. With Rayshon Slater now out for the year, Laramie Tunsil is auditioning for the trade deadline deal to the Chargers later on this year, this Sunday. For real or Fugazi? Mamma mia. It's Fugazi. There's no way. Yeah, the cow. He they weren't interested in trading him to the Cowboys, and I don't think they'll be interested in trading him to the Chargers. Although I certainly would, and I would demand a one uh, next year, and then something else in another year. I mean, the the, the injuries to left tackles. Now Trent Williams has a, a what a high ankle sprain, I think. He's supposed to be out at least a month. Yeah, I mean that that's they're not going to trade. You know, they're not going to trade for Tunsil in no small part because they're they're paying. Trent Williams also, you know, and then what would you do? Move one over to the right. They're not going to do that. But this charger thing, John, I don't know. You know, if the chargers at the trade deadline, if they're, 
four and four or five and three and and Slater's out for the year. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but you say Fugazi, mamma mia, Fugazi. All right. Um, let's see. Which one do I want to do here? All right. I'll just do this one real quick. John, we saw Ken Dorsey, the Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator, tear up the place after the Bills ran out of time against the Miami Dolphins. I mean, tore up the coordinator's box. He was caught on film. So it got a lot of people worked up about it. John, it's okay for a coordinator to completely tear up the coordinator's booth in the situation in which Ken Dorsey did it, a heartbreaking division loss on the road. For real or Fugazi? Fugazi, give me a break. Coaches, they can't be doing that. I mean, they look like fools. Everybody praised him for his competitiveness. He lost his composure and does exactly what he tells his players not to do. But I'll say this, when he was tearing up that laptop, he was more accurate than he was as a quarterback. I know. You know what, John, you know what struck me about that whole thing with Dorsey was Dorsey always struck me as a player, as a guy who was like flatline as far as laid back. back. Yeah. Like I didn't know, I, I had forgotten he was the coordinator for the bills. I only saw the footage and I'm like, Oh, that's their offensive coordinator. Huh? And then somebody told me it was Ken Dorsey. And I'm like the same, are there two Ken Dorsey's? Like, I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. All right. Jekyll, Jekyll and I. That, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, John, next one. Mac Jones on. Okay, let me let me lay this one out. Mac Jones also high ankle sprain. Now, Bill Belichick reported that uh, today, I believe, that Mac Jones is progressing faster than they think or than they thought he would, and he still remains a possibility to play. If not, Brian Hoyer will get the start. John, Mac Jones on one leg is greater than Brian Hoyer on two legs. For real or Fugazi? For real. And here's the deal about a high ankle sprain. Players play with them all the time. They don't get worse. It's just very, very painful. So you have to be able to deal with pain. And if you can deal with pain, you can play. Not right away. But when you come back, it's not going to be better until you get R&R. And and unless you have surgery, Mac Jones does not require surgery, neither did Trent Williams. Okay, next one. And this is kind of interrelated. we got two more I want to bounce off you, John, and for real or fugazi. Um, Bill Belichick has the same winning percentage as a head coach without Tom Brady. Not the same, but almost the same as Rex Ryan's overall winning percentage as a head coach. So in other words, the gist of that stat is, hey, if he doesn't have Tom Brady, Bill Belichick is basically Rex Ryan. Thus, John, the answer to the question for, for that we've real. asked for, for three, the last three years, Brady was the reason they won all those Super Bowls. For real or Fugazi? For real. For real. There you go. All right. I just want to get the question out there. I know you is know the accurate? question. Yeah. Yep. That was... Yeah, so Brady Brady is the answer to that. Brady is the answer to who was the biggest reason they won those Super Bowls. Tom Brady, that is for real. All right, one more. The uh, Rolling Stone put out their top 100 television shows of all time this week. The Sopranos was rated number one on the list. John, The Sopranos is the greatest television show in the history of television. For real or Fugazi? Boy, I'm thinking there's a lot of great TV shows, but I can't say any of them were better. So I'll say it's for real. For real. Okay. And there were two or three things they had in the top 10 that was preposterous. It must have been somebody 30 years old writing the story. <laughs> okay. And then, then let me give an impromptu. 
Fleabag is a top five show of all time. Gazy, <laughs> give me a break. That was John. I didn't know what Fleabag was. You got that's one of those shows that John Lopez watched every episode. I don't care. To be a great show, you got to be universally recognized. Yeah. And Fleabag wasn't. And how many years did it last? Give me a break. Yep. Yep. For did you? uh, Other than that, did you like the rest of that list from what you saw? Did you see the whole list? No, no. I just saw the top ten. They read it to me on in the loop, and uh, there were two that I really disagreed with, and both were recent and had no business being in there. Yeah. Shows like The Sopranos. Sopranos, and I think number two was The Simpsons, uh, and number three was Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad was great. My favorite of all was Sons of Anarchy. It lasted mm. seven years on FX. And uh, I, I I would like to see sometimes, Sean, a greatest last episode. Yeah. Like, like The Sopranos. Yeah. Like Justified. When Justified is one of my all-time favorites. Had a great last show. The Mary Tyler Moore show had a great last one. And so I'd like to see a rating of last episodes yes i i'm with you john i'm a kind of a low-key series finale junkie i i'm i'm with you on that that would be that would be something fun to say. i bet it's out there john if we just hit our google machine hard enough somebody's probably written something about it somewhere All the right. best i've ever seen was the last episode of sons of anarchy sons of anarchy yeah. is the best finale okay i got it was the greatest finale i've ever seen the way it all tied in from the first show and the setup and what it was about to what happened at the end. They put a lot of time and effort into that. And you were in there. I was. Yep. What do you mean? Michael Chiklis. Oh, <laughs> yeah, my guy. It looked my, like you were driving a truck. Yeah, my doppelganger. Yeah, that's your guy. Sons of Anarchy, is that your guy, Anson Mount, right? No, no, that was... uh uh, uh Hell on Wheels. This oh, Hell on Char- Wheels, okay. Yeah, Sons of Anarchy, that's the biker. Amy's watched Sons of Anarchy. I've not watched it. Yeah, ask her what she thinks about the last episode. Carol liked it so much she recorded it and watches it, and it's very sad. I did. Charlie Hunnam was the star. Okay. He had a lot of great actors through the years, and the guy that did it was the same guy that did uh, uh, Michael Chiklis, Walter Goggins, and what was that show uh, where they were dirty cops on FX? The Shield. The Shield, yeah. yeah. It had a bunch of actors from The Shield in it. Okay. Because it was the same producer, a lot of the same writers and directors. If you like The Shield, which I figured you would since yeah. you were in it, you've <laughs> got to watch Sons of Anarchy. I know. I know. Amy loved it. Amy loves Sons of Anarchy. She, Anarchy. She she binged it at a time where I was busy doing other stuff. So the Women like it because it's got all these bad boys. Yeah. All the time kicking ass and uh, having sex. Yep. She's getting all the stuff from that show. She's not getting it home, John. That's, that was the, uh, that's what was going, that's what was going on there. Didn't, what, didn't the actress who played, uh, played Peg Bundy, wasn't she in that too? Yeah, she was great. Yeah. Great. That's what I Katie heard. Katie Siegel. She that's, was Seagal. She was fabulous. Yep. That's what I heard. All right. So there you go. So we got a little TV conversation mixed in there um, for you. Uh, for you as well. John, I'll throw a little Astro one in here. Astros are going to the World Series, for real or Fugazi? For real. Yeah. They got to go so Mattress Mac can win $75 million. Ah, one of your many bosses. Yes. Yeah, and everybody can get their furniture free, free, free. Are they are they doling out bonus checks at the Gallery Sports Palatial Headquarters if the Astros win the World Series, John? I wish. You'll probably end up giving most of that money away. And with their pitching staff right now, uh, including the bullpen. 
they're going to be hard to beat. Yeah. The team that 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 would worry me the most in the World Series is not the Dodgers. It's still Atlanta because the Braves have hitters from top to bottom, yeah. which the Astros do not. Yep, yep, and they might be in the Astros' head a little bit, too, after last year. You never know. You never, never know. All right, so we are done. Um, we are out of time. Big thanks to Figgy Fig, as always, for getting this episode onto the phones and the laptops and the iPads and all the other contraptions you guys use to listen to this podcast. A reminder, if you want to email questions, for our mailbag episode next week, mailbag at gmail.com. That's where you can send your emails, mailbag at gmail.com. They can be Texans questions. They can be NFL questions. They can be anything. Um, so send them in, mailbag at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, kickoff again on Sunday at noon at NRG Stadium. John, I look forward to talking to you out in Bud Light Plaza on the pregame show on Texans Countdown on Sunday morning and look forward to hearing you next on Clint Sterner in the show on Friday afternoon. And be sure to read my columns on uh, sportsradio610.com and gallerysports.com. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Please tell your friends about the Utopia podcast. Yep, we're having a blast doing it. We hope all of you are enjoying listening to it, the Utopia football podcast. John's report card will be up on sportsradio610.com after the game on Sunday. Hopefully a Texans win on Sunday. We shall see. All right. So for John McClain, the Hall of Famer, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will talk to you all on Monday following the game on this podcast. I'll see all of you tomorrow, uh, every day, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. on Sports Radio 610. Until then, have a great day. Enjoy the game this Sunday, everybody.